0: Good morning, church. I am Jerry, and I am not the lead pastor. Uh, I belong to Sonny, and um, something I wanted to say in the first service, but I forgot to, and that is the fact that her given name is Nancy, but I call her Sonny. And the other day, I was in a conversation with a family here, and I kept talking about Nancy, and the guy finally asked, said, do you have two wives? (laughs) So I just wanted to clarify that. So uh, it was almost dawn. But for them, the new day would be no different than the last. Because for them, every day was a battle for survival, a bitter struggle. For you see, they were ten in number. They were just a a small band of lepers. They were among the untouchables. They were the outcasts in the area. In the daytime, they moved across the horizon like a pack of pariah dogs in search of food. And at night... They would gather around a, a warm fire and wrap the rags of leprosy around them. You see, the leopard, the rags were enough to, to cover the disease, but it was not warm enough to turn away the chill air. They hated the nighttime because it was at night when they would sit around the campfire that they would think of home because of their disease they were isolated from the community from their family and from their friends and they resided outside this little village that was in the northern part of Samaria up close to the border of of Galilee the disease left them horribly disfigured their fingerless hands looked like gnarled clubs their feet looked like raw stumps. And the rags that they wore was a signal to anybody they encountered that, that they were lepers. And they would wound the, the cloth around their faces to, to hide where the nose once was and where the ears once were. Lepers, they existed in the edge of this little village. They lived on the very border of the shadowlands. They were hopeless. They were helpless. And everywhere they went, they left behind the smell of death. It's now dawn. The campfire is out. The men in rags are beginning to stir. They start their journey again, scavenging for food. And then came Jesus. Reading from Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. You may want to in your Bibles circle the word thank there because it is the word Eucharist. And he was the Samaritan. So Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to this man, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. In 1970, I boarded a plane on the way to India. I was going to spend about three months in India doing village preaching, going from village to village backpacking. And uh, on the way over there, the plane I was flying Air Alitalia, so naturally we had to land in Rome. I thought I'd pop in and ask the Pope if he'd like to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> but I went to the Sistine Chapel. And as I stood there in that incredible masterpiece of Michelangelo, it took him four years to paint the ceiling of the chapel. It is absolutely incredible. There are scenes of the creation. There are scenes throughout the Bible, everywhere you look. And the people who come and they marvel at the genius of this man, Michelangelo. But they miss the message of the key scene when you see the hand of God reaching out for the hand of man. As I stood there and as I looked, and I looked around, I asked myself the question, what is it that God wants from me? What is it that God desires of us? What is it that he wants for us to give him? And he tells us that he wants us to come into his presence with, with joy. He wants us to come before him with thanksgiving. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse 8, he says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make his name known among the nations. In verse 34, he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. In Psalm 69 and verse 30, David says, Let's praise God's name in song and let's glorify Him with thanksgiving. And he comes along and he says in Psalm 9 and verse 1, He says, let's praise him with all of our heart and let's tell the world about all of his wonders and let's be glad to rejoice in him. And so let's praise and sing his name. And then a little bit later, he tells us in Psalm 95, he says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving for he is the great God. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. That's what God desires of you. And that's what God desires of me. And that's what he desired of the ten who had been healed of their leprosy. But only one came back. And only one fell at the feet of Jesus and praised him with a loud voice because he had touched him and healed him. Now why does God want that? Why is it? That's the second question. Why is he worthy of our thanksgiving? And why is he worthy of our praise? Why does he want my heart? Why does he want that relationship with me? First of all, it's just because of who he is. Michelangelo's fresco reminds us that God is closer than we think. He is forever reaching from eternity across time and across centuries to this island, to this place where you're sitting. He longs to hear your voice. He longs to hear your praise. He rejoices that we're in his family. The heavens declares glory, Psalm said in chapter 1 and the firmament declares his beauty. He heard the cry of the people in slavery and he, he goes and he selects this stinking, stuttering, stammering shepherd by the name of Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to stand in Pharaoh's camp and I want you to say, tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, but Lord, if I go and he asks me, who sent you? He says, you tell him the I am that I am sent you. And he did and God freed him. When his people had their backs to the wall over and over again, for example, in the days when the Philistines were were powerful, and you've got this giant that's belching threats and fire and brimstone against the people of God, and God takes this little guy with a pocket full of rocks and says, David, we got this, and brought him down. Then you come to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is, is a book probably we don't spend a lot of time in, but you should because it's a story of people who continue to spiral out of control. Everything is fine. Then they forget about God and they call on God and God sends, God sends a man to deliver and they would be delivered and have peace for 15 or 20 years. Then they would relapse back in their sin again and God would send another nation to oppress them and they'd cry out, to God again and over and over it went and through the book of Judges he sends Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah Barak, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jer Jephthah, Ibsen, Elon, Abdam, Samson, Eli and Samuel calling his people back he would not give up on them God wants a relationship with us because that's who he is and he cries out all around us telling us that he's here in one way, he sort of speaks to us. He speaks to us in the breathless silence of the snow-covered meadows in Montana. He is the, He's dancing in the gathering light of dawn. He whispers to us in the evening shadows with the setting sun. He greets us in the morning with the fragrance of a rose. And he smothers us with the smiles of a newborn child. He hugs us with the dirty hands of a little boy and he greets us with the sticky kisses from a little girl. He is forever reaching out, wanting us to reach back and he says, come experience me. Come experience my love. Come experience my joy. Come experience my grace because I'm not far from you. He is worthy Secondly, because of his divine initiative. We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That phrase only begotten in Greek means the only one of its kind. Jesus has no equal and he has no rival. He is the only one of its kind. And because of our leprosy, sin made lepers of us all. He sends his son to rescue us. And the world took him in through the door of a stable and sent him out of the point of a sword. He made his entrance by the way of a manger and his exit by the way of the cross. We hear the first cry in, in a place called Bethlehem, the, the, the cry of a newborn child wrapped in the garments of a peasant placed in a corn crib. And then we hear the last cry on a hill called Calvary when he said, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. The price has been paid for your sin and for mine. We should praise him and thank him because who he is and because of his divine initiative. Let me tell you how much he he, he loves you. There was a cross in the heart of God before the world was ever created. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love. I want you to know how much he loves you. You see, back in the creation story, let me tell you about the God. He comes along and he puts a seedling of a tree in the heart of the earth. And he waters it. He cares for it. And the seed germinates and it sprouts and it comes out and it grows up into a tree until one day cruel hands would come and cut down that tree and harvest it and trim it up and take it to the wood shop and the woodman would, would trim it up further and make rough hand-hewn timbers out of it, timbers that you would make a cross out of. He loved you so much that back in the very beginning he placed in the heart of the earth iron ore that would one day be discovered by the hand of men and in the discovery of it, they would refine it. They would put it into the fire and then they would plunge it into the water to cool it. A process of refinement until finally it is placed on the anvil and the blacksmith would begin to pound it and begin to pound it until he made nails. And then when he was busy creating the the earth, he made the seas and he made the rivers and he made Everest and he made Kilimanjaro. but, But then he paused over this place that we now know as Palestine. And he knelt down and he cupped up a little bit of dirt and patted it down. And he says, and this is going to be Mount Calvary. Prepared the cross, prepared the nails, prepared the hill. And then Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4: in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them who were under the law, that we would no longer be slaves, but that we could be sons and daughters. Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of our thanksgiving? You know, when I think about the Lord, uh, don't ever ask a a new grandmother uh, about her new grandchild. Because, I mean, that woman will flip out uh, photos and the photos have photos and and she's going to have a video presentation for you. Let me tell you something, God loves you so much that your picture's on his screensaver. He loves you that much. The angels get tired of him showing Your pictures to them all the time. They get weary. He is forever. He is joyful when he sees and hears our praise. He rejoices at the accomplishments that we have. And it breaks his heart when we choose to say, God, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to walk away from you. I want to be free. And he weeps. And it breaks his heart. He was there when you drew your first breath. And he's going to be there when you draw your last one. In Psalm 116, I love Psalm 116 because it says, The creator of all the earth, the God of heaven, inclines his ear to us. Can you see see the King of kings and the Lord of lords getting off the throne and, and just kind of cupping his ear just to make sure he hears everything you say? He does that not because his batteries are down on his hearing aids. He does it not because he's deaf. He does it because he delights to hear your voice and your prayers and your thanksgiving and your gratitude and your expressions of love. You see, the story of the Bible is not a story of men reaching out to God. It is a story of God reaching across eternity for mankind. He invites us to come experience his love. He invites us to come and dance the dance of redemption. He invites us to come and sing the melody and songs of our salvation. And he reminds us over and over and over again, for by grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says, By the way, you are my workmanship. I have redeemed you, but I have work for you to do. I have ministry for you to to perform. Can we not be grateful? Can we not be gracious? Can we not always be joyful? Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. Why he comes at night, I don't know. But he does come at night, and, and he and Jesus are having this conversation. And he tells Nick, he says, you know, Nick, what you need to do is you need to be born again. You need to be born of the water and the spirit. Nicodemus did not deserve the new birth. But Jesus made it available anyway. The woman that, is, that, that comes to Jesus at Jacob's well at high noon in and, and John chapter 4 and she makes that journey alone with her water pot and she comes and sits on the edge and she encounters Messiah. And they have this conversation and, and he knows about her life, her multiple marriages and relationships and, and the man she has now is not her husband. And she does not deserve his forgiveness But he gave it anyway. The woman that is taken in adultery in John chapter 8. Worthy of being stoned by the old law. And she comes and is thrown at the feet of Jesus. And and she doesn't deserve his forgiveness. But he says, listen. Go and sin no more. He gave it anyway. And that prodigal son. That prodigal boy who leaves his dad standing on the back porch of the screened-in porch and he walks away with the inheritance stuffed in his pocket. He leaves and wearing garments of aristocracy. And he goes into the far country and drags the family name through the scum and the filth of the earth like it was some kind of rag doll. And he lives his life just one party after the other. So selfish, so self-centered, so arrogant and so pompous until finally it's all gone. And with the, go- with the money being gone... So were the friends. And he comes to a point, he just wants to eat the hus that the, that the pigs are eating. He says, man, it's not right. He gets up and he heads back to his daddy. And like any boy, I know how he was because I remember when I messed up and I was going to go talk to my daddy, I made up my story as I went because I won't try to sell my daddy into not beating me to death. He's going back and said, you know, I... I'm not worthy. And he wasn't. And he comes and the father sees him. And the father sees him when he's a, gay, a great way off. Let me think, That's just the way daddies are. That's just the way mamas are. You may walk away, but they're still going to be there. And he's waiting and he notices how the boy is walking and he runs to where the boy is and he kisses him on the cheek and the boy pushes him away and said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I just want to be a hard servant. I want to pay my way back. He said, no, you're my boy. He said, hey, bring the best ring, the best robe, the best sandals. Let's party because my son was lost but now he's been found. He didn't deserve that the father gave it anyway you and I need to be grateful thirdly because of who we are in him the Bible tells us the book of Romans there's there's none righteous for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Isaiah says all of your righteousness is nothing more than a bunch of filthy rags And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're dead in your sin, but you can be alive in Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost with the coming of the Spirit of God and, and he begins to tell the people that that what you see going on here is what Joel talked about way back here when Joel says there's going to come a time when God's going to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy your old men are going to dream dreams and your young men are going to see visions and Peter says what he said is what's taking place now and he begins to tell them about Jesus and he tells them it's because of them the hands of wicked men that Jesus died and crucified the spotless Son of God, that God died in your place. And the men and women were pricked in their hearts. And they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you continue on down. and said There were 3,000 that day that stepped up and said, we want what you're telling us. You know why we should lift up our thoughts in praise? Because who we are. We're the king's kids. We got royal blood coursing through our names. We have our name inscribed in the Lounge Book of Life. Paul tells we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. John tells us in First John chapter 2, He tells us, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And it is not yet made manifest what we should be like, but this we know, we shall be like him. And that ought to be enough. Finally, point number three. How do we show this? How do we show this thanksgiving and this praise? How do we come into his presence with thanksgiving? There are three ways I want to suggest. Point number one is this. We do it when we give him our heart. When the Pharisees come to Jesus in Matthew 22, they say, Jesus, give us the bottom line. What is it you want? He said, I want your heart. I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind. That's what I want. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your devotion. He said, I want you to pick up the cross daily, and I want you to follow me. I want you to live for me, and if necessary, I want you to die for me. And I want you to seek the kingdom first. And I want you, as a result of your relationship with me, I want you to reorder your life. I want you to stop thinking so selfishly and start thinking about other people. He says in 1 John chapter 2, you see somebody in need and you have the ability to help them, help them. If you see somebody along the way that's been beaten and robbed, help them. Give him your heart. Secondly, we do it when we lift up our voices in prayer and in praise. I said this in the first assembly, and I said here that I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But I think it is a sin to have dull worship. I think any time people come together in their worship to God, filled with the Spirit of God, empowered by the presence of God, indwelt by the Word of God with your name inscribed and written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I think that the joy ought to come. It ought to come. It ought to be there. And, and I know that when we assemble, we need to bring that kind of joy into our worship. And I'm thankful we don't have this in our church here. But back home where we preached for 22 years in East Texas, that we had a guy. And I'm so thankful he's not here today. I'm thankful we don't have anybody like him. But he would come on Sunday morning, plop down in one of our back sections, fold his arms with the, uh, okay, big guy, tell me what you got to tell me today, and you better not tell me something I don't agree with, because if you do, I'm going to tell everybody. That's just who he was. He'd come into the assembly, and he'd just sit, soak, sulk, and shower. It's just who he was. And I went to the elders, and I said, Guys, I'm kind of the new guy on the block here. What's going on here? Well, they just said he is a, he's just an old, crotchety Christian. I said, that sounds like some kind of oxymoron to me. I mean, I know he's old. And I know he's crotchety, but is he really a Christian? I mean, the joy is not there. The love is not on display. How can it be? He would come and he would sit like he had chronic acid reflux. And I'm swearing there were times that I thought someone had gorilla glued his dentures to his gums. (laughs) The man could not smile. The man, he lived his life like that. When we come into his presence, we come celebrating who God is. We come celebrating who we are because of him. And finally... We offer up our thanksgiving and our praise to God when we become his hands, we become his feet, and we become his voice. When we become his living presence, when we become light in a world filled with darkness, when we bring peace in a world that knows nothing but war, when we bridge the gap of the racial divide, when we love people because Jesus Loves people. When we do that, we bring him joy. Paul said in Philippians 2, he says, you know, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God counted not the being only equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself unto death, yea, the death of the cross. He said, I want you to be like my son. I want you to empty yourself. Empty yourself for other people. Love other people like I have loved them. Now, there's one last story I want to tell. We're going to wrap it up, Okay. Some years ago, and Sonny's here, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. Some of the men in the first service challenged me to tell it. Some years ago in East Texas, I started buying lottery tickets. A pastor friend of mine lived in in Fort Worth, and he and I had been in Africa together. We'd traveled to other places. So he called me one day and said, McCarran said, you know, all this money is out there, and maybe we ought to buy a ticket or two. And so we talked about it. Said, here's what we'll do we'll, we'll buy a few tickets along, and if we ever win the big one, tell you what, whatever we win, we'll split it. And we'll only take 10%, and the other 90% we're going to use in, in ministry in Africa. That's a good, good plan, isn't it? And so from time to time, he'd buy three lottery tickets, and I'd buy three lottery tickets, or he'd be five, and I'd buy five. One day when I was in my office of the house, Sonny came in. She has been emptying out my blue gin pockets, and she found those lottery tickets. She comes in, and she says, what is this? I prayed, come, Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) I said, baby, it's just a couple lottery tickets. I told her, I said, we're probably going to win, but the money goes to the Texas Educational Department. (laughs) Well, it kind of blew over, and a few weeks later, she finds some tickets on my desk. And she said, I can't believe you're still buying lottery tickets. You're a pastor. I said, nobody knows it but you <laughs> and Mike and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and all the angelic hosts. I mean, it's the family secret here, woman. It was Saturday night a few weeks later, and the phone rang. It was around 10.13, 10, 10.15. 10, I was propped in bed going over some sermon notes for, for the 8.15 service the next morning, and, and Sonny was next to me. She was reading her Bible. The phone rang. She, yeah, Mike, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, he's right here. Okay this better not have anything to do with those lottery tickets. <laughs> and she handed me the phone. I got on the phone and Mike at the other end with that South African brogue, he says, he says, well, brother, do you, do you want the good news or the bad news? Which one do you want first? I said, give me the bad news. He said, well, we, we didn't win this 60 million, but we did win 5,000. I said, $5,000 by then. Sister McCarron had put her Bible on the nightstand and she was doing what I call the lotto shuffle. We won $5,000. We won $5,000. And when it hung up, I said, we who? (laughs) I've said all that to say this and I want you to get this if you get nothing else. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You won the big one. And you didn't even buy a ticket. It is a gift. It's God's gift. Our journey here in life is to be a a journey filled with thanksgiving and praise. Because one of these days we're going to put aside this body. And we're going to head to the house where Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. In the meantime, live for me. Let's talk to the Father. Well, Father, we celebrate your goodness every day. You greet us, Father, of all of your creation. We celebrate your goodness, Father, through prayer, through praise. We celebrate and and offer thanksgiving, Father, because we are your children. Father, we cannot say enough, there are not words enough to describe our love for you. And so, Father, we just pray that in our praise and our daily journey that we will live like people who have been redeemed, that we will be your hands and we will be your voice, that we will be your feet, that we will make a difference on this island. And Father, may we have such joy and such gratitude that it'll be a great testimony of who you are and whose we are. And so, Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Father, for creating within the garbage of our life a temple in which your spirit could dwell. Thank you for trusting us with the message of your redeeming grace. Thank you, Father, for bringing us to this place at this time, on this island, to make a difference, to glorify you, knowing that one day you're going to return and you're going to take us home. In the name of Christ, amen.